Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and as usual, I'm speaking to you from the Borough of Queens in New York City. It is the 30th day of August 2022. Do like to remind you, I write a newsletter that covers mostly mining shares, uh, exploration companies, as well as economic uh, situations. The, discuss the economy and uh, where I think that how that might impact the various markets that we cover in my newsletter. Miningstocks.com is a place to go to to subscribe to my letter. Also, like to mention, uh, J Taylor Media is a place that you can go to listen to this show afterwards. Um, always go to J Taylor Media or YouTube, or uh, other places, of course, Voice America as well. Uh, You can listen to it live, and shortly thereafter, Voice America uh, has the show available there. Uh, I do want to thank all of you for listening to the show and invite you to send along whatever questions or comments you have about this show. We always like to hear from our listeners. Um, Whatever comments you have, we'd like to hear uh, what you have to think about the show. also want to thank our sponsors, as always, because without them there would be no show. Today's sponsors, Irving Resources, Noble Resources, El Oro Resources, SK Mining, Timberline Resources, Lion One Metals. Uh, and I do want to welcome Raina Gold Corp. as a new sponsor of the show. Raina Gold has a district-scale gold exploration program underway uh, in northwestern Mexico, where some 50 million ounces of gold have been discovered uh, over the past 30 years or so. The geology is basically an extension of the same system that hosts major amounts of gold in California, Nevada, and Arizona. And most significant of all, from my viewpoint, is the fact that the company has two very strong technical advisors, namely Peter McGow and Douglas Kerwin, uh, advising them. I'm looking forward to interviewing the management of this company on on this show, perhaps as early as September 20th. Uh, It has been a very tough market for junior exploration companies, there's no doubt about that, as the price of gold has really not kept up with the CPI. Hedge fund manager Kyle Bass made an interesting comment on Adam Taggart's Wealthion interview last week, suggesting that the cryptocurrency crowd has replaced a large percentage of those investors who would otherwise be buying gold. While Kyle says uh, he has about 2% of his family's wealth in gold, he he, he is even much more bullish on the hydrocarbon markets as well as any things mined from the ground required to electrify the global economy. He suggests that oil and gas stocks are enormously undervalued, and despite record profits for these companies, capital is still flowing out of the oil and gas sector as investors feel intimidated by an increasingly uh, authoritarian Western government system uh, that does not really support the life-sustaining oil and gas industries. The notion uh, that we can go to uh, to renewables in um, in Kyle's mind and in the mind of many other thinking people is just sort of absurd. But the winds of uh, geopolitical change are certainly blowing harder and harder. With uh, while we in the West allow a rabid teenager like Greta Thunberg to scream at us uh, with her infant temper tantrums to intimidate to intimidate policymakers into destructive anti-science climate change policies, it seems that adversarial nations like China and Russia are not allowing any climate change rhetoric to destroy their economies. If the West is to to survive, we better wake up fast, I think, because a huge number of nations around the world are abandoning the NATO bloc. Mining analyst John Tomazos reported this morning that the number of nations refusing to condemn Russia for its invasion into the Ukraine has increased from 52 on March 2, when Russia started their invasion, to 100 nations by April 7th. And before you become outraged by a refusal uh, of nations to condemn Russia for its actions, it might be good, uh, it might be a good idea to remember that NATO has gone back on its promise not to add one inch of Eastern European territory after the fall of the Soviet Union. Now that is something our military industrial complex doesn't want to remind you of, Of course, that's propaganda, and every nation engages in it. I'm not saying uh, it's unique to the United States. Certainly, uh, Russia has its own propaganda in operation to lead the people to think what they want them to think as well. As David Stockman opined on my show back in March, that sanctioning Russia 
for going into the Ukraine would be, quote, un, to, would be to quote David, crazy as hell, end of quote, because he said it would hurt the West at least as much as it would hurt Russia. We are learning that David is right about that, as well as about his views on climate change and policies and how that's impacting in a very negative way our economy. Both are rapidly leading to, both of those policies directions are rapidly leading, I would argue, and many do argue, to economic death for the Western world, at least uh, for the masses of people anyway, if not the elites who all seem to be living pretty much like they always have. Uh, while asking the rest of us to uh, to sacrifice, energy is an essential is is actually is is the probably the most essential uh, commodity for any modern society at this point in time in history. And renewable forms of energy cannot replace hydrocarbons. Some nations are wisely retaining their nuclear policies or returning to those nuclear policies, and that is encouraging. But one wonders if it's not too little too late. Of course, those geopolitical, geopolitical actions, as well as the Biden economic policies of massive deficit spending, is leading to enormous inflation problems that in turn threaten our currency and the existing monetary system, which Russia and China aim to replace. And that leads me to today's show. Uh, we've titled today's show, Gold Beats Inflation and Treasury Yields Too. Keith Weiner and Michael Oliver return as guests today. The U.S. government hates gold because its rising price shines a light on the destruction of the dollar caused by the Federal Reserve and the federal government's deficit spending. The, the detractors of gold have long suggested that owning gold doesn't make sense because it doesn't provide any return on your investment. But they can't say that any longer because monetary metals now pays interest to small and large investors with as little as 10 ounces of gold to invest. Through monetary metals, investors can lease their gold or lend it and gain much higher real returns than you can get from buying U.S. Treasuries. While the nominal rates of interest received through the monetary metals program may be similar gold to those of Treasuries, gold's purchasing power over the longer term does not decline. So if you receive, say, 25 or 3% on your gold lease that you might do through monetary metals, unlike investing in treasuries that might give you the same yield, at least what you're getting paid back in, you're going to get paid back in your gold as well as interest is also paid in gold, that will not be a depreciating currency unlike the dollar. The dollar always, over the long run, always loses purchasing power. Since 1913, when the Federal Reserve was created, that has been a fact. Well, there were times, of course, during the Great Depression when purchasing power actually increased while we still had a gold standard. But absent a gold standard, I feel it's 100% sure to say that your purchasing power will decrease over time. Keith Weiner will be with me to talk about the opportunities uh, at Monetary Metals uh, to gain yield from your gold investments and, and silver investments, too, by the way. He'll be with me in the second half of today's show, and I want to ask Keith also for his forecast on gold. He certainly has a unique perspective on the gold markets that we want to hear about as well. Uh, we do have to go to commercial break now, but don't go away because Michael Oliver will be with us right after we come back to give us his latest assessment of the global economy and the markets that he considers to be most important. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Michael Oliver. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Lion One Metals is focused on high-grade gold in Fiji, led by legendary Canadian financier Walter Barakoff. Lion One is permitted for production and drilling for discoveries in one of the most exciting high-grade gold projects in the prolific South Pacific Ring of Fire. Lion One trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol LIO and on the OTCQX under the symbol LOMLF. Go to our website at liononemetals.com for more information about Lion One Metals and high-grade gold in Fiji. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. 
you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. Really pleased to have Michael Oliver with me once again. Thanks for joining me, Michael. Hi, Jay. Good to be back. It's good to be back, and it's always good to tell our listeners the place to go to sign up for your excellent newsletter, the one I really can't do without. And you know, once in a while when I don't get it, I send you an email and say, where is my newsletter? And you send it to me faithfully. Well, it is really a very important uh, a very important piece of information to factor into your investing decisions. And the place to go is OliverMSA.com, OliverMSA.com. Uh, Michael, I'd like to start off by asking you some sort of macro questions, uh, which might not always ask, but um, what what is your current assessment of the global economy and financial markets at this stage? Um, I don't think we're headed for recession. I think we're headed for a depression. Uh, there's, there's one factor that few people are discussing as part of the mix of the events here. And that, that's a technical one, but it's also fundamental. The distortions that we've seen from 2009 to 2021 in the stock market, especially the U.S. stock market, particularly the U.S. stock market, thanks to the Fed's QEs repeatedly and effectively interest rates at zero, free money, for uh, you know, a dozen years, uh, we've never had a bull market, quote unquote, call it bull, uh, that lasted that long and, and involved that great of a percentage advance. Uh, you go back and look at 1923 to 29, look at uh, mid 90s to 2000, look at the 2002 bear low to the 2007 bull peak. None of them were even approached the percentage gains the S&P saw. A sevenfold advance. And the NASDAQ 100 had a 16-fold advance. As a technician, uh, knowing what also was underlying that, if you look at an M2 chart, you can see it, or look at a Fed funds chart, you can see, oh, that's what explains it. Um, when that comes unraveled, and we think it's technically now broken, the bubble is broken, we define the breakage in January for NASDAQ, February for the S&P, turned major bearish at that point. I expect a bear trend, but the problem is we've broken a bubble that is the biggest in U.S. stock market history. Mm-hmm. The Fed thinks they're breaking inflation, and oh, yes, they are. I mean, they created a dozen years of massive inflation, and it went into the stock market instead of commodities. Uh, and so their actions, which are designed to, quote, break the stock market, uh, excuse me, commodity inflation, which is the narrow way they like to define it, it's politically acceptable, uh, is breaking their stock market. It's also breaking muni bonds, high-yield corporate debt, real estate ETFs, etc. You, you name it. But those assets are breaking from the biggest bubble in U.S. history. Therefore, I think the consequences will be far greater than 2009, which everybody vividly remembers, which wasn't just the one percenters getting killed. It was the average guy on the street. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's a very negative thing. And uh, though right now they like to cite numbers that make us look a little better than Europe and so forth, uh, I don't think it's going to end up that way. Also, I see it globally. We see uh, Europe in dire straits. They're likely in a recession. We know that. Even Bank America says the U.S. is in one. Okay, uh, China's not behaving well. No, they didn't have a bubble, so they're not going to break like we are. But their market is, you know, they're having real estate problems of significance. Mm-hmm. So it's global. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, it's not just the U.S., so for the Fed to be looking at U.S. metrics is a, is a joke. Uh, you think Europe can go down and China go into a recession and we're not going to join them? So mm-hmm. anyway, and again, because of the bubble nature of our market, I think the downside might even be labeled a depression at some point by uh, those who are willing to admit such. Um, so mm-hmm. you know, what happens when, when that perception occurs? What does, what does the central bank do? Well, yeah. we know what they'll do. You know, They're mm-hmm. going to go nuts back the other way they'll have to uh, yeah. otherwise they'll have riots out front of the fed, <laughs> fed building yeah uh, well so, you know that that mm-hmm. seems to be obviously what a lot of investors are as soon as there's a little bit of shift in the wind that looks a little positive they jump back into the market they're sure mm-hmm. that powell oh, yeah. is going to get in there and start doing what you're saying he's going to do it's obviously a battle of wills here 
the Fed wants people to stop buying stocks. Of course, they keep pushing money into the system, but they want to try to control inflation, I guess. And so they want to they want people to think they're not going to cave, but what you're saying is ultimately they will. They have no choice but They'll to do so. To. They, but they, how they far will it? Mandate, you know, unemployment's their other mandate. Wait till right. that shifts, and we think it will yeah. dramatically. Yeah. Well, that's uh, right. And Powell's <laughs> been talking about the, the, the employment situation be, being so, quote, unquote, strong. I'm not sure yeah. how strong it is. That's another issue, but... Uh, well, well, Michael, given that we're leisurely in hotels, <laughs> okay. yeah, yeah, all the all, yeah, not wealth creating, not wealth creating uh, industries, yeah. actually. And, and I, I want to bring up something that Kyle Bass said on an interview. I just saw him talking about uh, he's just extremely bullish on he says on on, on the hydrocarbons. Uh, he, he notes that even though these companies are making record profits, there's still money coming out of those sectors because that is no new capital going in because everybody's intimidated and afraid to invest in, um, in, in, those, in those sectors. And he notes that he wants to own things, anything that's mined from the ground that is going to be required for electrification. Well, I would just say, you know, I wonder because there's this concept of malinvestment. I think you were hitting on it. The fact is that money went into the stock market, into all kinds of things. With low interest rates, certain kinds of, uh, of, of uh, sectors did extremely well, like the high-tech sector and those that don't have any earnings uh, for the foreseeable future. But when interest rates start going up, people start wanting to know, start to look at the real companies, the companies that really produce wealth, I think, Michael. So mm -hmm. oil and gas, starting with the minerals uh, the, from the ground, the real Basic wealth-creating industries have to be those things uh, that are not so easy to do. You know, you push push buttons and make money that way. You know, so mm -hmm. what, so I guess what I'd like to ask you is, what do you think now? You look at your technicals all the time, and you let your technicals do the talking, but you also have a very deep understanding of of economics and the markets. You're a free market guy. You understand how uh, these governments are interfering in markets, what damage and devastation they do to us. What do you think, given what we have now, where should we be focusing our investment dollars? Well, I think Kyle's right. <laughs> uh, that's, that's one place to focus is the energy sector. And I think natural gas is probably the next headline component there, not, not so much crude oil. But the issue for the world is uh, not whether they even go a lot higher. It's whether they just hang around up here. Mm -hmm. uh, we got bullish on natural gas above $2.00. And again, at 450, it's now trading between nine and 10. Mm -hmm. We think it could go probably into the mid-teens. Wouldn't surprise mm -hmm. us. Crude oil mm -hmm. got bullish at 40. It's been oscillating either side of 100 down to mid-80s up to 110, let's say. And I think it's likely a, a range-bound situation for a while, but still at a very high level. Mm -hmm. It is choking. It's choking to other factors like factories, for example, being able to run, make profits, uh, energy mm -hmm. costs, and so forth. So uh, I think it will sustain, and I think it probably has more to go. I think food commodities is another area to watch. I think there's a very good chance that uh, the grains are going to attack on another major up leg. I would also watch sugar, something nobody's watching. Um, so I, I think the commodity complex, which is only a year and a half into a bull trend, and it's only doubled the Bloomberg. And if you mm -hmm. look back at the Bloomberg Commodity Index like 20 years ago, let's say, we're in the middle of the range. So mm -hmm. these people talking about we're at the extreme highs of inflation. Yes, when you measure it by the silly metric of how, how much increase versus last year, mm -hmm. well, commodity prices a year ago or two years ago were depressed off the page. So it's quite easy to double commodity prices like that. We're only in the middle of the range going back to 20-some-odd years in the Bloomberg. So there's a lot more room to go. It is a very young bull market. It's only a year and a half old by our metrics. We get bullish in October 2020. Um, I thought there would be a commodity explosion. In fact, there was. And I think what you've had over the last several months is congestion in, in that sector in the commodity index, preparing for the next up leg. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I think there's more to come there, and I think Powell is going to be a total waste of time stopping that. Uh, he tries to liken himself to Volcker, but back in Volcker's time, when he took over the Fed, the Fed had already been raising rates consistently for two years. Fed fund rates yeah. were constantly climbing. He joined the Fed and jacked them up to 
very high levels. But at that point, commodities had already tripled. They were three years old on the upside. Gold yeah. had gone from uh, you know hundred dollars to eight fifty during rising rate period. By the way, during yeah. the mid to late seventies, uh, and only then did they peak. And I don't think it was due to Volcker. I think it was simply due to the, they were through. They had their massive bull market, and so mm-hmm. that was the excuse. Well, they raised rates. Well, the mm-hmm. rates were rising all during that time. So I think he's likening himself to that commodity inflation then. He's wrong. The thing that mm-hmm. was inflated that he's busting is the stock market. Mm-hmm. The commodity market is by no means comparable to what it was in 1980, where mm-hmm. it tripled over a three-year period. So he's got it all wrong, and that's fine. I mean, that's the way it is. You know, it's government. So yeah. – uh, don't expect yeah. more. So I think Kyle's right. I think you've got to look at, at real assets. Mm-hmm. Um, well, obviously, and uh, I mean, again, a lot of those, at least the big guys like Exxon and some of those are just making tremendous profits, record profits now. Uh, yeah, and the government's and, complaining about it. You know. And they're complaining. They probably <laughs> yeah. like to, you yeah. know, say they're price gouging or something. Well, let's go well, let me ask you, Right, you know. <laughs> okay, so, uh, Michael, you, you believe the... Um, I guess the next shoe is dropping now on the equity market. It uh, looks like it. Um, do you I think see another another hundred points down the S and P, and I think that that'll get you. You get down around thirty nine hundred, and we're trading in the thirty nine hundreds right now. Uh-huh. Because thirty nine hundred, I think the lows that we made just below thirty seven hundred are coming out probably pretty soon. In which uh-huh. case, the next leg commences. I'm not looking for a crash. Normal bear markets and stocks don't crash. They. Uh, they go down you know, 10%, 15%, then they have a bear market rallies to suck in the longs, and then they go for another, you know, it's arduous. Uh, and I think it will be arduous and, and span the next year or two. Uh, and But yeah. the consequence on the other side, I think the, the term recession might be retired right. uh, at some point what, down there. What, do you, what, what about then, uh, would you feel safe in... Um, you know, someone that's not a trader, but somebody who has a little longer-term perspective, going short on the equity markets. Let's say through an yeah, ETF you could, like but SH. You have a long-term or, perspective, and don't don't yeah. buy puts that expire in two months. And no, no, uh, but say don't an get ETF. leveraged, and you know, and, and you might even consider a spread position. And frankly, yeah. if you'd have shorted the Nasdaq 100 in January when we said, you know, or at the end of last year, we got bearish in January. Uh, and bought gold at the same time. Yeah, you'd be losing right now about uh, seven, eight percent in gold, and making a high double-digit percent in Nasdaq on the uh-huh. short side. So your spread's mm-hmm. working out quite good. Mm-hmm. I also think that gold and silver and the miners, which have been beat up a lot lately, but not gold so much. The mainly mm-hmm. silver and the miners mm-hmm. are. My bet is personally that's the place you want to be over the next year or two because the. Those in control of the monetary situation uh, worldwide, not just here, will go back to excess. They have to. They have no choice. Mm -hmm. That's what they were created for, supporting governments, funding governments. uh, You know, and they – I think we've got political problems coming as well. I don't think there's any political outcome, for example, in the U.S. that's going to end quietly. No, it doesn't. No matter which side wins in this election or the 2024, I don't think there's any outcome that will end with calmness. Uh, I'm not going to predict what specifically I'm talking about, but it's it's not going to be a good outcome. The division will get worse and worse. Uh, and anyway, so that's another factor that's I don't think being put into the people's thought right. process about outcome here. Well, it, and then uh, as long as though interest rates are rising, and at least a portion of the market believes that Powell is serious and he's going to actually be the second coming of Volcker. Uh, I guess when there's that stance, it's things like gold comes under pressure. The dollar, being the the senior currency, is has been strong relative to the other. I'm looking fiat for the currencies. dollar to top. Um, our, I'm going to put out a report today in some depth, and I suggest anybody who considers subscribing to NSA will send them that sample report, uh-huh. uh, explaining how the dollar is sometimes correlated to gold and sometimes it is totally not correlated mm-hmm. to gold, mm-hmm. and we we show charts to. Lately, it has definitely been negatively correlated to gold. The dollar has risen sharply. Gold has gone down since the March high. However, if you go back to 2020 uh, through March of this year, in fact, uh, they were in sync with each other. So, yeah. you know, it depends on what time frame you look at. Uh, but I think the dollar index has had its little orgy on the upside. And, yes, mm-hmm. it's mostly the euro, which is 57% of the dollar index. Uh, 
And I think a lot of bets have been placed. I think the sentiment is overwhelmingly bullish on the dollar. But our technicals, which is what I'm looking at, not the contrary opinion, suggest that, no, we're in a very potentially negative situation for the dollar such that if this attempted blow-off in the dollar, and by the way, prices are still very low compared to 20 years ago and so forth. Right. The dollar index keeps going lower by the decade. Uh, mm-hmm. So all the talk of the new high dollar for 20 years, you have to 20 years has been depressed. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think if the dollar downticks even a couple points from here, it's trading mm-hmm. 108.80. I think you see 106, it's over. And mm-hmm. I think uh, a lot of people will be shocked by that. And I think gold will probably go the other way at that point. Um, back to the well, upside. Would, it would seem to me that what gold needs and silver probably and maybe some of the other commodities uh what they need is to see this uh, pivot the pivot that everybody's anticipating but does i guess powell is going to keep the fed pivot the, yeah the, oh yeah yeah that could be a, the dollar is a problem too for the central banks because frankly mm-hmm. it's killing the europeans and the japanese in terms yes. of their ability to buy energy and food because mm-hmm. uh, their currencies are depreciating compared to ours mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think the notion of reserve currency will be gone in a year or two. Wow. I don't think we'll end up with a world where, you know, it's, it used to be the British pound sterling, and then you know, now it's the dollar, and I think that's going to end. I think we'll have multiple currencies that will be competing for that sort of status. And it, it, a lot of things are fragmenting, and I think that notion of a, a sort of a monopoly currency will also go by the way. Right. Do you think gold uh, might play a role in that, Michael? I think it would. I, yeah, I yeah. definitely think it would. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so it's it's going to be a very interesting time ahead, but it's not a normal downturn in the, the no. stock market, nor in the economy. This is something much bigger than anybody's talking about. Right. This is a depression, not a recession, you say. So, I, that's um, my bet is that not, the word comes back into use again. Well, it's not something we're eagerly looking forward to, but we want to be ready, and we want to thank you yeah. very much for taking the time to share your thoughts with us, Michael. Thank you, Jay. Always great to have you. Okay, folks, we do have to go to break now, but don't go away. Keith Weiner will be with me to talk about uh, about monetary metals and the products they have. You know, you can earn interest on your gold that's at least as good as the treasury interest that you, rate, that you uh, receive these days by buying Uncle Sam's debt. And you get paid back in gold, of course, and so you don't lose your purchasing power uh, while you get that interest, uh, unlike the Treasury. So Keith will be with us to talk about that. Uh, so don't go away. We'll be right back. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Timberline Resources is a mineral exploration and resource development company focused on gold discovery in the world-class mining jurisdiction of Nevada. The company's flagship Eureka Project hosts a significant gold resource and drill-indicated upside potential at nearby higher-grade targets. Timberline Resources trades in Canada under the symbol TBR and on the OTCQB in the U.S. under the symbol TLRS. To learn more about this district-scale asset with exciting discovery potential, please visit www.timberlineresources.co. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. listening to turning hard times into good times with your host jay taylor if you have a question or comment about today's show jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790 that's 1-866-472-5790 you can also send an email to questions taylor at gmail.com that's questions the number four taylor at gmail.com now back to our program Welcome back, Turning Hard Times and Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. Really pleased to have with me once again Keith Weiner. He's the founder of Monetary Metals. Uh, as an Austrian economist, Keith brings with him a unique view of the metals markets. He founded Monetary Metals. That's a company that is proving anti-gold naysayers wrong. They've always suggested that investing in gold was a kind of a dumb idea because you don't get any return, any yield. Uh, any sort of return on your investment. Well, Keith is proving that that is wrong with monetary metals. They're paying 
interest on leases and bonds that are at least as good as the U.S. Treasury. And, of course, you get it back uh, when you get paid back in your gold and you get your interest paid on gold. It is in real money, real non-depreciating money, and unlike the Treasuries, which, of course, we can count on losing value over time. So it's really uh, great to have Keith, and I would suggest that you go to J. Taylor Media. That's a website of mine. Uh, there's a rotating banner there. If you click on that, it will take you right through to the Monetary Metals website, and you can learn more and uh, uh, perhaps more than what Keith will have time to talk about with me right now. But uh, I want to thank you, Keith, for joining me today. It's good to have you again. Thanks for having me, Jay. You know, um, I just maybe like to start off uh, by asking you sort of a general macro question. What is your current assessment of the global economy and financial markets? So um, in order to answer that, I kind of have to take a step back and talk about the Fed sort of as this bipolar um, dysfunctional creature. And it has two modes. The mode that everybody loves uh, because it has rising asset prices and rising consumption is a mode where they're pumping out more credit at cheaper and cheaper rates. And that is necessary because of the way the monetary system is designed to keep the economy going. But it also is fueling malinvestment, uh, consumption of capital. Um, and we can get into you know, why I say those things if, if there's time. Uh, but it's fueling all kinds of bad stuff. And the development of what, um, I'm not a fan of John Kenneth Galbraith, but he coined this term the bezel. Mm -hmm. which roughly means the difference between the um, asset values that everybody thinks they have and are holding on their books versus what's really there. Uh -huh. And so you get this greater and greater disparity as the Fed is pumping up asset prices, which makes people feel wealthier, which they call the wealth effect, mm -hmm. uh, which isn't real wealth, uh, obviously. Um, and, um, for instance, you get the rise of uh, what are called zombies. Now, mm -hmm. a zombie is not defined by some fringe all finance you know sites it's defined by the bank for international settlements right the central bankers central bank and they define a zombie basically as a company whose profits are less than their interest expense <laughs> so a zombie wouldn't exist at all but for cheaper and cheaper credit being pumped out in greater and greater volumes anyways as the zombies rise the malinvestment rises the bezel grows the fed gets to the point where and maybe throw in some rising consumer prices which is happening for other reasons, which we can get into if, if there's time, um, the Fed suddenly decides, like, whatever tick goes off in a bipolar, you know, a schizophrenic mind, that um, now it has to switch to the other mode, which is to cause the bust. And so then they pull credit back, um, interest rates rise, and they, um, you know, they, they think this will be the cure for zombies and all manner of malinvestment which it probably is if they could let it go on long enough. Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. at the same time, it's also pulling credit back from you know, all parts of the economy, including the productive sectors. And um, that's the phase that we're in right now. I don't think they can last very long at this. I think the pain is going to become too intense for um, you know, the Fed to um, you know, withstand. Uh, but you know, that can go on for a while before they, uh, they finally cry uncle. And, and the thing that needs to be emphasized about this for all that their pretense of analysis and data and equations, you know, having a central bank is the politicization, politicization of credit. It's mm -hmm. a political process that now right. decides these things. Mm -hmm. So when when will the political process turn? Well, it's hard to predict, but it will because it's going to get more and more painful, and powerful interest groups are going to demand that they uh, reverse. Well, it's interesting because David Stockman, who we've had on this show sort of surprised me when he said he doesn't think that Powell is going to pivot anytime soon because um, the Fed knows the population is getting angry as hell with all the inflation going on. And so many people, half the population lives hand to mouth, one paycheck to the next. And now with rising prices, they can't hardly, they can't make ends meet. They're hitting their credit cards even more. So David's view was that the Fed won't pivot anytime soon. They know they've got a serious inflationary problem on their hands. They've got to keep it, you know, they're seeing they're seeing the people with all this anger, with, as David put it, coming at them with torches and pitchforks. Uh, do you think that Powell will just keep the brakes on until he breaks something, and then there's going to have to be a pivot at that point? Or do you think, you know, politically the pressure just gets so great that, that they've got it, they can't withstand um, 
keeping the brakes on. You know, it's very hard for anybody, but certainly for myself, to try to predict, you know, political decisions. Yeah. Uh, so I, I try to I try to keep myself in my swim lane, which is to look at the economics of it, which is um, much more you know governed by economics law. Sure. I think you know the Fed the Fed plays that caring about um, inflation. Of course, it's Orwellian. Their mission is defined as price stability. But right on their webpage, they say that um, you know prices rising relentlessly at two percent per annum is price stability. And I think Orwell would be looking down on this and either smiling or angry, depending on you know, jealous, jealous, you know, jealous, <laughs> jealous, jealous. Right? I didn't think of that, bastards. Um, but uh, um, you know. I, I think they play at caring about prices. I think they play at caring about unemployment. Does anybody really believe, even supporters of the Fed, does anybody really believe that if you lose your job, Jay Powell is crying a tear uh -huh. somewhere into his yeah. <laughs> wine or beer or beverage of choice? I, no way. Um, all of that is is political cover. Mm -hmm. It's the smokescreen that um, you know they can use to justify whatever maneuver they want to uh, you know pull. Uh, at the end of the day, I think they care about, and, and the reason why the Fed was founded was to enable the government, and of course its crony, um, you know, its crony uh, corporations, to uh, borrow and therefore spend more than they otherwise could, more than the government could raise in taxes, mm -hmm. uh, more than those corporations could get in, you know, honest revenues, and um, secondarily to that, to keep those cronies, particularly the crony banks, uh, you know, solvent. And, um, you know, hiking interest rates does a number of things to um, undermine, you know, bank solvency, two of which are one, that they're, they've inverted the yield curve. So banks infamously or famously borrow in using short term markets and they have to keep rolling over their funding uh, at higher and higher rates as the rate is going up. And, and they, they use that funding to buy long term assets, which, of course, are um, you know, already bought and therefore they don't enjoy the higher asset price, but they mm -hmm. instead, I'm sorry, the higher interest rate, instead they have a falling asset price on their asset side of their uh, balance sheet. Mm -hmm. So their uh, their balance sheet, you know, has, has uh, uh, pressure because the assets are falling. The income statement has a pressure because the interest expense is rising. Mm -hmm. That's what, um, you know, rising interest rates is doing or a yield curve in inversion is doing to the banks. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then the other problem is that all of this rising interest rates and credit pullback is forcing all sorts of borrowers into default. Right. Every one of those defaults is now impacting the banks. Mm -hmm. and, and I think of it as like blowing holes in their balance sheet. And um, the Fed surely has to be watching that. And when the pain on the banks becomes too great, um, you know, unlike the pain of unemployed people, which I don't think they feel and I don't think they care, uh, but the pain of the banks is going to be, especially the big crony banks, it's something that I think they're going to have to pay attention to. Um, and the question is, when does that, uh, you know, get to a uh, a point that that they reverse? I, you know, I don't know. Yeah, nobody knows, I guess. And you're right; it's it's impossible to know. So all the all those zombie companies that have been held, uh, you know, kept alive through infusions of of money and lower interest rates for years and years are still there. And as you said, if they'd left it, leave it go far enough, it probably would cure it. But they won't. They can't because the pain is too intolerable. Well, let's get to maybe some pain relief for our investors uh, in terms of uh, investing uh, in gold. And your products that you at Monetary Metals have devised, you were the founder of Monetary Metals. You had a vision for what could be, uh, you know, that, so people can actually invest i think as little as 10 ounces of gold they can put up with you and then become lenders and i guess in a in a consortium or in a in a group um either leasing that gold or uh, being a part of a gold bond is that right that's basically it so um you know deprived of interest in dollars which are falling anyway uh, you know people turn to gold and and our approach is they should get a return on that gold uh, in exchange for doing something productive with it Rather than just hoarding it, um, you know what makes the economy go around is is finance of, of productive enterprise, and so um, we have two programs. We have a leasing program, which is open to all investors. Mm -hmm. Minimum investment is ten ounces. As you say, you know we present lease opportunities. Investors have a uh, uh, a choice whether they want to participate or not in any given 
lease opportunity. Interest rates on that range from 2% to about uh, 3%. That is net to the investor, and that's gold on gold. So if you put 100 ounces in, an interest rate of 3% means you get 103 ounces at the end of the year. Mm -hmm. um, a lease is where the uh, company that's leasing the gold has physical inventory or work in progress. So we could go on site, scrape all the gold, put it on a scale, and it would weigh greater than the lease amount. Uh, so the gold is physically present. This is not a financial, uh, you know, product involving, you know, leverage, hypothecation, or any mm -hmm. of those kinds of things. Yeah. Um, and um, uh, um, you know, you know, the, the gold is physically present, and that's how that works. We also have a uh, a product that we call the gold bond, mm -hmm. um, and a bond is just that. It is lending. So in the case of a lease, it's not lending. The lease gold does not go on the balance sheet of the lessee. It's not their asset. Um, you know, if they were to declare bankruptcy, for example, we would repossess it in the same way that if you lease a car from General Motors, that doesn't go to, and the car is not liquidated for the benefit of your creditors, General Motors will just simply repossess it. Mm -hmm. um, in the case of the bond, which is accredited investors only, so I have to be careful talking too much in an open forum. Mm -hmm. That's just the way the securities regulations uh, are in this country today. Um, but it's, um, it is true lending. It does, the funds go on the balance sheet of the borrower. Um, mm -hmm. and typically we're financing mines, you know, uh, growth and expansion for refiners and vaults and others that are, um, generating a gold income and, uh, interest rates are, uh, much higher in, um, in the bonds than they are in leases. Obviously there's greater risk, right? Uh, but, um, you know, I, I, I think, you know, if you look at the dollar, this is one good thing about it, which is that there is quite a rich risk return spectrum. Mm -hmm. You know, there's everything from holding cash, like in a, in a bank safe deposit box, which has no return and in theory, no risk other than the general currency risk. Um, and then on the opposite extreme, you know, I guess you could buy call options on a 3x leveraged ETF. <laughs> and if you put a million dollars into that, you would create a, you know, multi-generational fortune if you were right. <laughs> Yeah, uh, and there's and there's a there's a product in every risk bucket or every slot along that spectrum. Yeah, there's thousands of different gradations, and uh, the gold world has basically had two slots, which is you can buy uh, gold metal, and and I would include in that you know futures and GLD and things like that. They're just different ways of holding gold metal, or you can buy equities of mining companies which is pretty far out on the other end of the spectrum. Right. Much higher risk. Obviously, the returns, if you get it right, can be enormous. Mm -hmm. um, and then what we're doing is we're creating products that slot kind of in the middle. The lease is much closer to the to the near end of, of low risk and low return. The bond is some, somewhere out in the middle, higher higher risk and higher return, but lower risk than, you know, the equity, right? If a yes. company is failing, the bond, hold, you know, the, the lenders are repaid first before the shareholders would get anything. Right, exactly right. Now, Keith, um, with regard to, you know, maybe just some people might want to just own gold and keep coins in their in their home or in their safe, in their vault at home. Um, okay, that's that's all right, but they, you know, someone can come in and rob you. That's a risk that you have. I mean, it might, might be considered the safest way to own gold, but you don't get any return on it, that's for sure, uh, other than the appreciation against the currency. Uh, you can store gold coins. Um, you could put it in a in a private vault. Uh, but as I understand it, if people enter into your program, uh, they don't they're not charged for a vault storage. Where you know if if people put their money their their gold in a vault or silver in a vault, they're going to be charged a lot of money, right? But it, it, is this is that true that if people invest say ten ounces of gold or whatever with you guys with with uh, monetary metals, you're not they don't get charged for the uh, for the gold that's not that's not lent because I, I guess uh, I get, we didn't get to this part but how if people put up those ounces they have to bid on an interest rate I mean there's a bidding process right that allows a certain number of ounces that are in your program to be invested maybe you could clarify that but there's a, the point is that in your program you don't have to pay for vault storage. In any that, that's right. If you yeah. if you um, if you have coins at home, you're taking the risk of, of theft or fire or flood. 
But you generally can't insure. Um, I've called a number of insurance companies. You can't insure gold held at home, mm. um, you know, because it's too easy to commit fraud against the insurance company. Sure. Um, so you know, you don't have uh, any cost, but on the other hand, you know, there is that risk, and who knows what, who knows what that risk is. Uh, you know, if you live in an apartment in the middle of the city, that risk is probably a lot higher. If you have 50 acres, you know, in a rural place, you know, and you bury it in the backyard, that risk is probably pretty low. Um, but, um, you know, if you go to a professional depository, you will typically pay about three quarters of 1% per year, mm -hmm. which doesn't necessarily sound like that much, but, you know, that adds up over time. That gets old, um, you know, after 10 years of that. I mean, if the gold price was going up at 25% per year, I think most people probably wouldn't care that much. Yeah. But if the gold price is, you know, choppy and sideways and whatever, that gets pretty frustrating. And um, you're absolutely correct. In our program, we do not charge, uh, you know, storage fees for it. Uh, of course, the intention in our program isn't long-term storage. It's to get it deployed productively into um, something that produces a return, in which case there's there's no storage fees. There's just a, a single, you know, net interest rate that we quote. Uh, now, you talked about the bidding process. We are, um, you know, in the final stages of, of rolling out something that makes it a lot easier. And that is that uh, an interest rate is presented and then you just decide do you want to participate or not. Mm -hmm. um, and um, so all that bidding stuff goes away, which I think, you know, there's some investors that kind of got excited about the game theory aspects of it. But I think, you know, the more mainstream investors probably looked at it, rolled their eyes a, a little bit. Said, okay, well, if I have to do that, I'll do that. But I mean, you're making me jump through hoops. Just make this easy, please. So we've uh, we've listened to that feedback, and uh, that's coming uh, very soon. Very good. I'll look forward to that. Well, let me ask you, uh, Keith, before we run out of time here, I want to get your take on or your forecast for gold. You put out a very good report, a very thorough report in January, calling for um, you know sort of forecasting the gold price and. Maybe you could just talk a little bit about your methodology that you use in, in trying to determine where, you know, in, in coming up with some sort of a forecast for gold. And, um, and, and just talk to us a little bit about what you were thinking in January and how that might or might not have changed uh, between then and now. So we look at uh, the spread between futures and spot. Um, the, futures, the futures market is not a prediction market. It's not you know, when anybody per se thinks the price of gold is going to be in December or February or whatever, it's a carry market, meaning that if you want to buy a February future, then the person who signs up to um, give you that gold in February uh, will typically, um, you know, buy the gold, warehouse it, um, and, um, you know, it's, it's locked in as buy price, it's locked in as sell price, and it's, a, it's an arbitrage. Mm -hmm. So, um, that difference between future and spot uh, represents usually typically normally represents uh, the cost of interest plus the cost of storage. Mm -hmm. But um, as you can imagine, as markets gyrate, the price can get pretty distorted from, uh, you know, where that should be. Either spot is moving up or down or futures are moving up or down. Um, and so based on that, uh, in, in um, end of January, we put out the report. I think I basically said that we, we stand at a crossroads. Is the Fed really going to go through with this tightening and hiking of interest rates? And if so, that's not necessarily terribly bullish for gold mm -hmm. um, and definitely, definitely not bullish for silver. Mm -hmm. um, what's happened since then, and this is the really interesting thing, obviously the price of both metals has come down, not surprisingly. Um, and um, But what's interesting is, uh, so both metals at that time we calculate a fundamental price, uh, um, you know, based on trying to back out, you know, theoretically you look at the market price, which, which is comprised of both the spot buyers and sellers and the future buyers and sellers. And the buyers and sellers in the futures market are using leverage and they're speculators, so they can distort the price. But if we could theoretically calculate how to back that effect out, then we'd be left with, okay, if the market was just physical, where would it clear at? Mm -hmm. And back at the end of January, the market clearing price was pretty close to, um, I don't remember exactly what the numbers were, but pretty close to um, the spot price. Uh, as the prices of the metals have moved down, the fundamentals have not moved down so much as, as the market price 
has. And now today we have a situation where in both gold and silver, the, the, the gold fundamental price is 100 bucks above the market. And in silver, it's more like $3.50 or something. Mm-hmm. But what's really interesting is that silver has become very scarce to the market. Mm-hmm. Gold conditions are reasonably normal, if I could dare use that word to describe this bizarre environment that we're in, in which nothing is normal. Mm-hmm. Uh, but silver has become incredibly tight, and there is now um, a, a real serious backwardation in silver, oh. which means a scarcity or shortage. So we put out a report yesterday um, based on Friday's data, and today it got even, or sorry, yesterday it got even more extreme. We may put out another update if it gets even more extreme today when I, when I look at the data. Um, that backwardation um, is, is more serious than anything we've seen since the heart of the global financial crisis. Ah, interesting. So, um, which means, you know, there's potentially explosive upside to the silver price um, when, when the market is ready to respond to that tension that could be quite a lot of force, you know, letting go like a, uh, like if there's a cable under tension and you cut it, it doesn't just drop to the floor, right? There's right. a whiplash sure. effect and that whiplash could see, you know, $24 or, or $34. It depends. And of course, if there's a momentum that takes over as we had in 2010 through 2011, you know, $50. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. So it, it must mean that there people want to get their hands. They need silver for one thing or another in manufacturing or or maybe for monetary security. But I would guess more man, more in the in the real world for manufacturing and so forth. And it's just not there. So they have to bid the price up for the physicals. Uh, that's what's happening, I guess. Right. And it's becoming increasingly scarce for for whatever the reason. Uh-huh. Now, um, you know, regular listeners of your show may know and uh, certainly regular readers of our reports know, we have not exactly been perma-bulls on gold or silver, and we've not necessarily been bullish on silver mm-hmm. most of the time for most of the last decade or so. Um, I, I don't think we've ever come out with a call this aggressive on, on uh, silver uh, that I can recall. This mm-hmm. is a very unique moment in time. All right, we'll have to leave it go at that. We're really out of time, Keith. I'm sorry, I had a bunch more questions to ask you. Maybe we can do it again sometime in the near future. Folks, uh, that is all the time we have this week. Next week, um, Bob Moriarty will be with me, uh, as well as Quentin Henning to talk about Lion One Metals. Bob will talk about the money revelation. That's how hyperinflation takes root. It's from a, an account in hyperinflationary German Germany, and it was uh, translated into English. Bob will be with me to talk about that next week. Keith, I want to thank you so much for being with us. And I want to tell all of you, uh, go to monetarymetals.com. You can easily access the website by going to jtaylormedia.com or just click on the banner there. Keith, thank you so much for being with us. And folks, uh, until next week, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel.